haven't made the progress they want to do in terms of structurally reforming the way the companies work. And, um, you know, that makes it difficult for them to, to, to change their, their monetary stance. Um, so I understand why they're being stubborn. I don't think it's sustainable. A lot of people are betting it's not, but you know, the, 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 the famous undertaker trade is yeah, <laughs> going, we can going after the Japanese yeah. government bond yields. <laughs> That's the one. Well, sadly, love to talk more about this, but we've run out of time. So thank you all very much. That's Pete Sweeney, Asia editor at Reuters Breaking Views, uh, Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, and our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. With all that movement going on in the markets, let's see how Asian equity markets are looking at the moment, about half an hour into the open. In Australia, the SX200 is down 0.1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 1%. The Cosby slipping further into the red, down 1.1% now. Futures markets pointing to a loss of 150 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, as always, with Money Talk. Back chats coming up after the news with Janice Wong and James Ockenden and the weather forecast. Mainly cloudy with showers, few thunderstorms. Maximum temperature is going to be around 30 degrees and those showers and thunderstorms are going to continue tomorrow. But the weather will improve gradually in the latter part of this week. Temperature right now uh, is 29 degrees. There is a thunderstorm warning in force, effective until 10.30. And the relative humidity is 81%. (laughs) Time's 8.31 and a half. Here's Andrew Shorsky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Two senior British ministers have resigned over controversies linked to the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. The Finance Minister Rishi Sunak and the Health Secretary Sajid Javid have both handed in their resignations, piling more pressure on the beleaguered Conservative leader. Mr. Johnson has now appointed Nadim Zahawi, the former Education Secretary, as Finance Minister. Mr. Johnson has been accused of making several misleading statements, most recently about a colleague who had drunkenly groped fellow members at a private club. The leader of the opposition party, uh, opposition Labour Party, Keir Starmer, said Britain now needed a fresh government. It's clear that this Tory government is now collapsing. And Tory cabinet ministers, if they had a shred of integrity, they would have gone months ago. The Tory party is corrupted, and changing one man at the top won't fix it. We need a real change of government and a fresh start for Britain. Police in Chicago say that the man suspected of shooting dead six people and injuring 30 others at a 4th of July parade was dressed as a woman to hide his facial tattoos. Police are still questioning 21-year-old Robert Cremo, who opened fire on celebrations marking the day America became an independent nation. Lake County Sergeant Christopher Covelli gave more details. We do believe Cremo pre-planned this attack for several weeks. Uh, He brought a high-powered rifle to this parade. He accessed the roof of a business via a fire escape ladder and began opening fire on the innocent Independence Day celebration goers. The rifle was purchased in Illinois, and the information we have thus far is that it appears to have been purchased legally by Cremo. Back locally, police say the high court received a parcel containing unknown powder yesterday afternoon. Officers from the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Bureau arrived to handle it, and investigations are ongoing. No one has been arrested so far. 
And finally, the Hong Kong Wild Boar Concern Group is again urging the government to scrap a policy that allows it to capture and kill the feral animals and to revive its contraception and relocation scheme. Ronnie Wong was commenting after the government announced it wanted to expand a ban on the feeding of the wild animals to cover all of Hong Kong and introduce tougher penalties for offenders in a bid to curtail the nuisance caused by wild boar in urban areas. Mr. Wong told RTHK the government needed better urban planning to reduce conflict between people and wildlife. Our organization do not oppose the suggestion by the government in stepping up the effort in combating the illegal feeding of the rubbles. I think more important is that the government should first terminate the killing wild policy first and republish the exact uh, contraception and return policy of the wild You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is James Ockenden. Good morning, James. Good morning, Janice. On today's Backchat, we're looking at pay rises for civil servants and the merits or lack thereof of a shorter work week. The new executive council is proposing a 2.5% pay rise for civil servants, far lower than the recommendations from the Pay Trend Survey Committee, based on a survey of private sector pay. Civil Service Chief Ingrid Young explained the decision for a smaller pay hike was made after taking into account a variety of factors, including the state of the economy and the government's fiscal position. What do you think? Is 2.5% the right figure? How will this affect the private sector, if at all? And what do you make of New World Group's decision to give some of its staff half a day off on Friday for two months this summer? It's designed to be a family-friendly measure to improve the well-being of staff. So is a four-and-a-half-day work week the future? Or is it just not practical? After 9.15am, we'll look at a new clinical trial by Sinovac of a new vaccine, specifically targeting Omicron. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us, of course, and our number is 23388266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we're joined by Francis Mock an executive council member of the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resource Management, and Vera Yoon, a lecturer at the University of Hong Kong's Faculty of Business and Economics. Good morning to the both of you. Oh, good morning, uh, Janice. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, thank you for joining us on the program. I, I must first uh, clarify that I am a civil servant and um, any pay adjustment will affect me, but I can guarantee it won't affect any of the questions I'm about to ask the both of you. Um, now let's uh, start with you, Mr. Mock. Um, what do you make of the proposed uh, 2.5% pay rise? Uh, is it in line with Hong Kong's private sector? Well, uh, different organizations carry out a patient survey every year. Uh, for the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resource Management, uh, according to our survey results, it's uh, last year uh, for, for the for, for the for the uh, last twelve months, uh, the outcome was an average of three point three percent. But of course, the methodology, the uh, the targets, and the focus are very different. So based on that, I, 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 it's very difficult to comment on the outcome of the civil service uh, patient survey. But I think after 
after taking into account this, the, the six major uh, considerations, uh, the executive council came up with uh, 2.5%, and that's, that's a decision after a lot of considerations, which ha- are different from the commercial sector. Yeah, what have you been seeing in the commercial sector in terms of salary adjustments? Okay, now uh, let's let's look at it. Uh, uh, the reality is, uh, private sectors take into account the pay trends surveys uh, results uh, every year, but they, they 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 there are a lot of considerations which are not in the civil service consideration. For example, the affordability of the company, right? So companies that's making uh, a, a lot of a lot of profit on average uh, compared to the market, they tend to give a higher pay pay rise. And also, uh, the focus would be on the uh, variable pay, such as bonus, such as, uh, uh, for example, uh, stock option and others. And these are these are not included uh, in the consideration of civil servants. All right, Ms. Yun. Um Let's go to you. Um, the government-appointed Pay Trend Survey Committee had uh, earlier suggested salary increases of 2.04% for junior civil servants, 4.55% for middle-ranking workers, and 7.26% for senior staff. Um, and that's uh, after a two-year pay freeze. Now, in the end, the government is proposing an across-the-board uh, pay rise of 2.5%. Um, so, Ms. Yoon, looking at the state of the economy and the government's fiscal position, do you think this is a reasonable level? I think for this issue, it's not the problem of the magnitude. I think it's the problem of whether the government honors an institution that they have been following for many years. Because for civil servant, um, it's nothing more than a system of institutions, norms and rules. And if you have not followed an institution for three years and trying to override uh, you know what the institution told you to do so by discretionarily you know increasing salary or freezing salaries as you wish then why do you want to set up such institution why don't you just reform it if you think that this no longer suits your need and i think especially for civil servant it's you know if, if you don't follow the rules then the government has nothing to follow and 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 second to that one of the reasons they override a decision uh, is that they said it would pressurize the private sectors to raise their salaries. But then this reason is wrong because the patron survey, they've actually surveyed the salary rise in the private sector, which means the civil servant have salary rise that lag behind the private sector for one year. So it's not that the civil servant pressurize the private sector, but it's the private sector that has salary rise that leads to a rise in civil servant salary. So even the reason is wrong. So what I think is that, okay, for the first year, you can say that it's emergency, is COVID, is pandemic, that's why they freeze it. And then for the second year and the third year, you're trying to make discretionary decisions. Then what's left for this government? Mr. What? Mock, Mr. Mock, what's your response? I mean, I mean, all along we, the government has been following the uh, results of the pay trend survey, but not now. Well, I, okay, uh, I've been following the uh, pay trend survey results for the last uh, at least ten years. Uh, it's not always that the government uh, would make decision based on the, uh, the survey results only. Uh, 
there have been there have been uh, a few occasions. I would I would say it's not rare that the government take into account the pay, the result the Pechan survey, uh, but uh, taking into other accounts uh, make make their own uh, make their own decision. How many times are we talking about, and and how much deviation? Well, uh, as far as I can remember, there uh, there were at least uh, two two or three occasions in the last 10 years. Uh, the result came up that uh, the seniors should, uh, that the, the pay rise for seniors uh, was much higher than those uh, for the junior staff. And the government took into account the, uh, the motivation and, you know, the morale of, of staff because people were saying that uh, uh, you, you, you are, you are treat, you're, <laughs> you're treating the seniors with, you know, well, better. So eventually government decided to, uh, to, to raise a much smaller percentage for the senior staff. Yeah, it seems like an optic, you know, optics, really. They can't really give 7% to the senior staff in, uh, in difficult times um, and, and just 2% for the junior staff. Do you think it's just purely on how it looks? No, I don't. Uh, well, I, I, I do have... Uh, uh, I think the government, uh, the executive council made the decision. Uh, it was based on a manifestos. They, they said there are six... Uh, major major considerations, and the patient survey result is only one of them. So I think it's not a rule, but a, a reference for for uh, the final decision. And uh, the reaction to the proposed pay rise has been a kind of mixed. I mean, some some like uh, for example, the Hong Kong General Chamber of Commerce uh, it welcomed the proposed hike because uh, it re- it says it reflects the economic situation, and uh, some are not happy. Apart from several civil service unions, a lawmaker from the Federation of uh, Hong Kong and Kowloon Labour Unions, Lam Chun Singh, um, he said the proposed pay rise lags behind inflation and that uh, government workers would essentially suffer from a de facto pay cut um, because their standard of living and purchasing power would be lowered. Ms. Yoon, um, do you agree? Well, they have that master pay scale that they, you have point rise like every year until the max point, but in the private market, we don't. I mean, even in statutory body, we don't have you know, rise in points, but you have rise in points. So I think that actually compensate your cost of living. And we, we discussed uh, just now whether uh, in, it reflects what happened in the private market. And I think so, because for um, the middle level positions, it depends on the sector, but in the finance sector, some of them, because, you know, people leaving Hong Kong uh, due to the very stringent um, COVID-19 uh, restrictions, there were some short-term pay rise, like 20 to 30 percent in, you know, finance positions, sales positions, insurance, in junior and middle level positions. That's why you see um, it's higher than the um, lower rank uh, workers, because I mean, for the lower rank ones, they could have been, you know, unemployed and then have pay cut in, in the private sector. So. That's why you would see the discrepancy in between the middle and the lower level um, labor. Right. Let's go back to uh, you, Mr. Mark. Um, earlier, I mean, earlier, uh, Ms. Yoon was saying that uh, the uh, proposed level of increase is, is really a reflection of what's been happening in the private sector uh, last year, I guess. Um, so will the proposed increase have any impact at all on the private sector? Well, I think uh, the focus is very different in the private sector. Uh, we look at we look at staff retraction and retention mostly. 
So when we, when primary sectors consider pay, uh, pay adjustment, one of the key factors is, is that pay in, uh, adjustment sufficient enough to prevent uh, people from, from you know, uh, leaving the organization and sufficient to attract talents. Uh, this is in, in, in relations to uh, uh, similar, similar companies or similar enterprises in the market. So the key consideration is, am I paying staff enough to attract and retain them? And this is not a major consideration for the civil servants, right? Right. So, There's an inertia, isn't there? People aren't going to leave the civil servant service on, you know, for one year's bad pay, unlikely anyway. Or do you think uh, they will? Yeah, yeah. Well, that uh, 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 depends on the job itself. For example, some professional, some professional staff like architects, uh, surveyors, engineers, they they are competitive. They they, they can still find job in the um, in, in the private sector if the pay uh, if the pay difference is big enough to you know to drive them away. But it, as you said, uh, James, it's, it's very unlikely for most of the um, for the, the job itself. But, but do you think uh, this level of pay increase we're talking about, uh, 2.5%, uh, will it make the civil service less less attractive? I mean, you said uh, people will probably not leave because of uh, a low pay increase this year, but uh, will uh, fewer people want to join the civil service? Well, uh, uh, Francis, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that, that the one year's pay in, uh, adjustment would, would be the major factor uh, uh, impact and having great impact on people's consideration to or intention to join the civil service or not. What about staff morale? What do you think? I mean, will it have any impact uh, from this uh, uh, pay pay hike? Well, I, I, I can I can imagine. I'm expecting a lot of noises from from the union, right? Because they would say it's not fair. Uh, I, I I'm not I. I think I think uh, there would be more noises this year, but I don't think there would be a, a huge, huge impact on the morale. All right. And, and of course, uh, apart from discussing the proposed civil service pay rise, uh, we invited the both of you on Backchat today to look at uh, the case for a shorter work week. Uh, and uh, this is after New World Group kicked off a trial four and a half day work week this summer. Um, Mr. Mock, is this a special case or, or are there many other companies in Hong Kong also shortening the work week? Well, uh, thank you. Thank you, Janice. I think the world, New World Group is ahead of many employers in Hong Kong, introducing a four and a half day work week. Now, uh, shorter work weeks is one of the many family friendly and employee well-being initiatives employers can consider. And it is relatively new in Hong Kong, but it's already a trend in the US, in Europe uh, and, and Japan. It's um. Is it is it genuine? Is it for, is this for like shift workers who can actually legitimately take off you know half a day and not worry about it? Or is this? I, I have a feeling if this is for office staff, they probably wouldn't actually take that half day. It's like people who work part time end up working almost a full time job simply because there's so much work. Or do you think people will actually get time off as a result of this? Well, I think it is uh, no. Uh, James, it's very important that. If we introduce, if anyone introduces uh, a shorter work week, uh, communication is very important. Now we employ, uh, we employ our staff to 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 uh, achieve, you know, to produce, not not physically, not because we want them physically in the office. So it's, it 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 must be emphasized that 
Now, I, uh, I, as an employer, I'm giving you the autonomy, but don't forget the first number one priority is to to produce, you know, to uh, to bring uh, achievement to the organization, to 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 increase value to the company. So the, the targets, the uh, business objectives, or the personal performance must be uh, uh, very clear, measurable, and observable, and of course achievable, right? And uh, Mr. Mark, uh, like you mentioned, uh, several places around the world uh, have shorter, have already introduced shorter work weeks. Um, do you know what kind of impact it's had on the productivity? Ah, okay. Now uh, I have to emphasize, physic- being physically in the office doesn't, doesn't mean higher productivity, and that's evidence uh, during COVID nineteen. You know, a lot of staff. Now, of course, uh, uh, the, the jobs uh, that require face to face interaction. Uh, like uh, security or even the disciplinary forces about, or uh, um, uh, hospital uh, caring staff, they, they have to be physically present. But I would say a lot of uh, the jobs that don't require people to be physically in the workplace. During the last two years, uh, a lot of surveys, a lot of studies actually proved that productivity did not did not, uh, uh, was not jeopardized. Yeah, but, but we're, we're it, talking about actually giving them time off. I mean, uh, working from home is one thing, but the, the four and a half uh, working week is actually giving people a free half day. They don't have to work at home or anywhere. Um, uh, and, and I've oh. seen from, from the UK, there was one company, um, Girling Jones, which started its four-day four week in January. They gave everyone Wednesdays off, and they actually found productivity was up. Um, because people were rushing on Tuesdays to finish their work so they wouldn't have to worry on Wednesdays. So that's great. But then there's a, a fear that perhaps companies will start to use that enhanced productivity then against staff. And then if they introduce back the five-day week, they'll be expecting more. I mean, do you think that's uh, something to worry about, uh, Vera, perhaps? Well, no, I don't think so. Um, companies in the Scandinavia, they've been advocating four-day work week. And... There was a study to know to try to understand for a normal eight-hour workday how many hours actually do the employees work during that day, and the result is less than three hours. Yeah. Because when you're working, you can, you're not machine. You you cannot concentrate all the time. So there's some downtime. You know, you need to go to the pantry, talk with your colleagues, and relax a bit, so that you can go back to your work. And sometimes you're waiting for work to to be delivered if you're not in. That kind of job function that was busy all the day. But not if you're a construction worker. I mean, uh, then you are yeah, pretty yeah, much hard yeah. at it, right? Well, construction workers, they have tea time. You know, they started at 10 o'clock and then they, you know, go to lunch. No, I've at done that 12. work. You, you, you work pretty hard. You get short breaks. I it mean, depends. There's a lot of talk about contract. office work and then, you know, construction work and, and restaurant work, which are, you know, brutally hard. And if we're giving those people time off, then that's very different. That's like giving them a gift. But if we're giving office people, time off, then effectively, like you said, we're really just sharpening up the the laziness that people sitting around uh, surfing the internet. Yeah, so it really depends on job nature and function. Mm. But I think it works for, you know, things that are project-based, outcome-based, that it's about the outcome, whether we are motivated to work that out or just you, know, you have to sit there for hours, like, you know, teller, uh, reception, they have to be there anyway. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so, Mr. Mark, do, do you see this becoming a trend? I mean, a shorter work week. Well, I think this is uh, this is a trend that nobody can can you know can resist. Now, uh, especially the post COVID nineteen new normal, uh, people 
people tasted it and enjoyed it, right? Uh, today, we, when we talk about motivation, people treasure three, the, the three top motivators are purpose, uh, now to understand what, what I'm doing, uh, autonomy and, and mastery. And autonomy is actually the, the thing that uh, motivate people most by allowing them to, to work from home, to have flexible working hours, to have, you know, uh, they, now, I want you to be physically in the office four and a half days. That doesn't mean that I, I'm demanding less from you. So that's very clear. But uh, even, even though you demand no less than that, uh, employees feel that, oh, I'm being, being valued. I'm given the autonomy. So, well, as a reasonable, as a, uh, as a reasonable uh, re response, I have to produce uh, not, 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 not less, but even harder. I have to work harder, you know. So I think that the trend is, is, is not reversible, especially after COVID-19, which gives a, a big boost to, to more flexible working hours and work from anywhere. So, so do you think like, a, I mean, you're saying that this is a possible, um, the shorter work week may become a trend, but do you also think that maybe um, working during Typhoon 8 maybe or, or during a black rainstorm from home, for example, do you think that would be, a, that will also be a trend? Oh, uh, okay. Now, uh, uh, during, during, during the pandemic, no, nobody says, oh, I'm not working on Sunday. I'm not working on Saturday. I'm not working in the evening. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, we we talk to we talk to uh, working moms. A lot of them said, "Oh, well, I'm happier because I have, I have two prime hours. If I go to work, my prime uh, prime uh, hours in the morning, for example. But because I'm working from home, I'm more flexible. I have time to take care of the family. So uh, I, I I finish my work uh, after dinner when the when the kids are uh, go to bed. So so uh, but by the same token, working during weekends." Uh, during typhoon, black rain, it's 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 not it's it's not something extraordinary. It's 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 a norm now because I'm responsible for the for the outcome, not 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 responsible only for being physically in the office. Yeah, it's good that you bring up uh, women and family there, uh, Francis. I actually studied the, the Kellogg's case from, from the 1930s as part of my master's, and what they did there was reduce the factory shift to six hours from eight hours, and it was immensely popular and gave people more time, more family time. But in the end, there were very strong unions, uh, male-led unions, which said working six hours was kind of uh, sissy, it was for women, you know, a man would work strong and long hours. And that was, the, that was in the 30s. So they actually went back to eight hours. And that was, you know, 100 years ago. It's quite a shame. Do we have that attitude still today that uh, working long hours is kind of macho and that taking care of the, of the family and being flexible is, is for women? Well, James, I, I think um, nothing really changed that much. But the thing is, uh, if you look at the supply and demand, hundred years ago, there are more supply than the, uh, than demand, so it's difficult to find a job, right? In those days, mm. today we're talking about the war of talent. If you don't treat your employees well, and they feel not not being taken care of, they they do leave. And there is a forecast that forty four percent of staff uh, are either start looking uh, looking for jobs or will be start to, will, will start to look for a job in the in the third quarter of this year. So we do expect turnover rate to be high. And if you are not like, you know, for example, New World is, uh, is a pioneer in the, in the industry. Uh, people who work there would, would love to stay and, and people are attracted to them. And if employers do not start thinking about this and take proactive action, 
there is a high chance that these uh, employers will lose their uh, their top talents and then fail to attract uh, you know incoming talents. So it's a major trend that we cannot neglect because the supply is much smaller nowadays. What do you think the the shareholders are going to make of this? Because the uh, New World share price is, hasn't exactly been doing very well since, uh, since well, 2009, I think. And it did dip a bit on the news on Monday. So do you think the shareholders will be behind this? It's a, it's a very short plan. But do you think that they'll think they're, they're funding these uh, half days off? Well, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think it's a major factor for, for the stock price. Mm. But the thing is, uh, as, as uh, an organisation, I think they're doing the right things. In, you know, in uh, uh, you can see that we're closing a, a turnover staff is very expensive. You know, the, the investment into this is is far less than you know. If you keep the the, the turnover rate low, uh, it, it pays off. Yeah. All right, uh, Mr. Mock, uh, we have to leave it here for now because we have to take a short break for the news. Um, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Francis Mock, an executive council member of the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resource Management. And uh, Ms. Yoon, I know uh, you'll be here with us for a bit longer so we can continue our discussion after the news um, when we will be joined by a Dr. Kuratulain Saidi, a Hong Kong-based clinical psychologist from Mind and Life Psychology Practice, um, to see what she thinks about the four and a half day work week. And also after 9.15, we'll look at a new clinical trial by Sinovac of a vaccine specifically targeting Omicron. Now, if you want to ask questions or just share your views on today's topics, remember you can give us a call. Our number is 233-88266. And a quick look at the weather. It will be mainly cloudy with showers and isolated thunderstorms. The top temperature will be around 30 degrees. Winds moderate southwesterlies and the outlook occasional showers and thunderstorms tomorrow hot with isolated showers over the weekend 29 degrees at the moment and the relative humidity at the observatory right now is 83 percent you're listening to the news on rthk Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with James Ockenden and me, Janice Wong. Just before the news, we talked about whether a four and a half a day work week will become a trend in Hong Kong. Now, still with us on the program is Vera Yoon, a lecturer at the University of Hong Kong's Faculty of Business and Economics. And joining us now is Dr. Kuratulain Saidi, a Hong Kong-based clinical psychologist from Mind and Life Psychology Practice. Good morning, Dr. Saidi. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, So New World Group said it hoped uh, a shorter work week would improve employees' wellness so that they will be better motivated at work and perform more efficiently. Um, In your view, what real benefits would a shorter work week bring? Well, it does. um, uh, Firstly, thank you for having me. Uh, And the 4.5 work week or shorter work week in Hong Kong is, uh, you know, the first step. uh, It's a great thing that they're doing. Um, as you know, France has been uh, working shorter hours, and the studies do show that it does increase productivity of um, the employees, and it, well, it increases their well-being, mental well-being, and creates a better work-life balance. Um, and and uh, couple it with the uh, you know the hybrid model of working from home, 
as well as um, being able to have the opportunity to socialize and interact and be in a work environment surrounded by your colleagues, all of that is very positive, uh, are very positive steps um, and much needed uh, in Hong Kong. All right, I have two emails here from our listeners, and, and they seem to support uh, what you've been saying. Um, this one is from David. He says, uh, working 40 hours in three days or four days is much more productive, and uh, you have a good three-day holiday. And uh, this is a message on our Facebook page from John. He says, uh, it is said that productivity is the holy grail for business, yet millions have to travel more than two hours every day. Planning new housing miles away from work is a productivity killer. The new town model is all backward thinking. It kills productivity. Planning ideas have to change. And that is from John. So, Miss um, uh, Yoon, are you still there? Yeah. So, so what do you think? I mean, I, I mean, you talked about uh, some studies before the news that uh, show that productivity will increase. Um, can, you, can you share some of the findings? Well, I, uh, we, we talk about a uh, shorter, work, shorter working hours and four-day work week. Um, I think nowadays, because of the COVID, there are more um, studies have preliminary findings on work from home. And that they find that the optimal way is to have maybe three days working in office and two days working from home. It's like half-half. So it's not like totally work from home is not the most productive thing and totally working away is not the most productive thing but it's like in the middle um so and in i think in the west uh especially in the u.s there was this um great resonation phenomenon that people are resigning and not going to work and they want better work-life balance so in europe in uk some companies they are beating up uh, the number of days they could offer to work from home so that they can attract employees. Um, New World, actually, uh, if you talk about work with, it could be the first one to propose. But if you're talking about work from home, there are some companies, they are still offering one to two days work from home in Hong Kong since the COVID. So um, I, I guess this is a high profile PR thing for them. What do you um, think about Elon Musk has said uh, at Tesla, all employees must go back. He doesn't want any more working from home. He wants people to be visible within the office, which he thinks has uh, great value. What, what do you think about his decision there? Well, it's his management style. And I think it really depends on company culture and also the kind of work that they have, whether they have to work closely. And then there has to be communication between colleagues in the same team. But as I said, um, some studies uh, very preliminary find that you know you can have interaction but it's like uh, half of the time and then half the time you can stay at home so I think it, it really depends and it will still take some time to research on like which way is the better way and uh, Dr. Saidi earlier you are talking about the benefits of a, a shorter work week uh, it's a benefit to basically mental health I mean how important is a um, mental health when we talk about productivity it's the basis for uh, human functioning. Now, if you, if you, just like your physical health and your mental health, uh, you have to be in a, in a space where you're, um, as you say, productivity being the holy grail of, you know, how, how the measure works. If you're not functioning and your mind isn't functioning uh, at a level where uh, you feel that you can perform, it doesn't have an impact. So um, if you're stressed, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, if 
the work environment um, or the, you know, having to stay, uh, the, the, you know, must thing that you just said, having to be present whether you're working or not and showing faith, you know, how productive is that? So um, being able to uh, have your mental health, physical health, uh, and the balance around that and how you feel generally in life. And part of that is if work is such a big part of your daily life. You have to be able to function and be productive if you're not functioning well mentally. I mean, it doesn't work well. It doesn't go hand in hand. And, a- you know, the stress in Hong Kong has been pretty high. So, yeah, I mean, the world, other first ones who are uh, putting it out there, so, so, yeah, I think it's a good trend to set personal for. So from what you're saying, it won't just benefit staff, but also the employer as well then? Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is a two-way street. Absolutely, they're going to have happier. But any employer, we've got studies actually. We have got studies in New Zealand to show that when they, uh, when they did four, four-day work week, um, the productivity increased and they the happier employees. And, you know, you had a lower turnover. In France, um, also, we've had many studies with that because they've had the longest, shorter work week. Those are the studies that we have data points from. In the UK, um, how many productive hours in work day? They did a study in 2019 and there were only two hours and 23 minutes that were people were being productive. So, you know, you've got to be able to take uh, the productivity the well-being, all of that kind of fits in a, in a work-life balance wheel that, you know, most of us mental health professionals look at. And, and work is a big part of that. And uh, I did look at an example in New York uh, where mm-hmm. workers there um, have a four-day work week. Uh, they, they had to compress their workload so they can enjoy having a day off. Uh, is, that a good, uh, is that good for mental health? That's in a change the expectations that are being met in that because yes i mean it's it, this is what i was saying yesterday when i or when i that the first thought was that you that decreasing the work week doesn't mean that you increase the working hours right you, it can't be that you're working 16 hours to meet the same expectations however if you have that time to be with family to be able to do more enjoyable or, uh, you know, fulfilling activities or activities that fuel you up, um, then maybe, then definitely you will be more productive and you will stay focused and you won't be switching so many tasks and you know you've got that many hours to get this stuff done, you'll get it done, but you, I guess it is trying to find the right balance of meeting expectations, putting expectations in that four and a half. I feel like we we might need a new language here because there's a lot of things being banded around, a a lot of confusion perhaps. We've got work from home, which is a new thing really uh, under COVID, but we've also got the BlackBerry effect, which was before that, which is where, you know, people were taking their work home with them on their on their smartphones, which is obviously huge as well. And then we've got actual work in the office. And then we've got the, the four and a half day work week, which is giving people time off. Or is it, as you just said, compressing the time? Um, I feel that there's a lot of confusion here and that there may be companies like New World which are very adept at, at manipulating um, you know, social responsibility to look as if they're doing something good. But really, all they've done is discovered that desk work is extremely unproductive and they're just taking steps to address, address that. What, what do you think about that? Uh, 
um, it could be, maybe that is is the case. Maybe that's exactly what it is. Um, However, and you're right, there is is a lot of confusion uh, around the the terminology that is being used. Um, but But the whole point is that you're able to decrease the number of hours that you have to be present for work and manage that within, you know, creating a mental mental well-being, yeah. decreasing stress. That, that's the whole point of My it. Concern- it can't be, yeah. yeah. My, my, my concern about this all is that it's very much aimed at the sort of professional desk workers, whereas the, the shift workers, again, the peace, the peace workers, the factory workers, are not really going to get any benefit from these discussions. I mean, do you think, uh, is that not important in Hong Kong? I guess we don't I have that many factory workers. But. <laughs> no, no, but we do have shift workers. Yeah. Um, and we have, you know, it, no, absolutely, this has to, to me, it feels like it's, you know, the PR and all of that aside, a step in the right direction to start having these conversations yeah. where decreasing work week, right, the number of days that you're supposed to be working, does it have a better impact on the employees that you have, people that you have in your office, and generally in society. So it's a discuss, it's a point of starting a discussion that absolutely everybody, everybody, you know, um, needs to be taken into consideration. It can't just be for the people who are working at the desk. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Dr. Saidi, I have another email here from David. He says, um, most people cannot multitask and working from home with kids and interference means the quality of work will go down, which is not good for the average person, especially with banking staff. So uh, that message is from uh, David and uh, he doesn't seem to agree with what you've been saying about uh, increased productivity. Uh, multitasking and uh, paying sustained attention is a is a different. Um, it, it, I agree with what he's saying. Multitasking, you can only pay attention to a task for two minutes, thirty seconds, and switching tasks, it, it, you know, is it, very hard for our brain to do. And um, it is. Um, it, it, I've always said there is no such thing. My children will tell you there's no such thing as multitasking. There's only multitasking. with him on that. That is how our attention and our brain is wired to pay attention to a task. That that I I agree that if people have challenges with the childcare, with you know having to um, manage that, then maybe the better environment is to be at work. So uh... to be in the office. So as long as you have the flexibility, I think, uh, and you have a choice. All right. Um, I think it will be, I feel it will be a good thing because in my own experience of the hybrid working model, working from home and working from office, um, I have certainly, you know, from the before for our mind and life office and our uh, clinicians here, it has been beneficial for us. All right. So I have two emails here, but it's uh, from it's, it's about an uh, earlier issue that we were talking about. Uh, Miss Yoon, maybe you can help answer these uh, emails. Uh, this one is from David. He says, uh, giving the civil service a pay rise is just pushing more money into the economy, which means food will still stay expensive. Property prices will stay uh, will still stay expensive. Let them leave if the money is not good enough. Somebody else will find the job. And uh, there's another email here from Andrew. He said he wants to know. I'm not sure if you will be able to answer this, uh, Ms. Yun. He wants to know which industries and levels of seniority are used in the pay trend survey. 
Besides the finance-related areas, salaries and freelance payments have been static for years in many fields of employment, including in the media, retail, hospitality and retail sectors. Transparency on the pay trend survey would be appreciated. And uh, that email is from Andrew. Ms. Yoon, do you have any uh, response to the emails? I think for the um, price uh, of the food, it's more about inflation. That is the general global trend because uh, the international trade has been disrupted. And so, I mean, by giving them more, you know, um, more income, it, it won't actually affect the, the prices of goods so much in that way. But then I would say that um, for some department, they're already like having brain drain, like people leaving and for professional grades, it's hard to retain people. But at the same time, I don't think increasing the salary could help like retaining these people because these people leave because they don't like to work at the government. So, and and for some, for, for example, engineers, uh, they actually have better packages and benefits in the government than in the private sector. So um, I don't think it's a solution to help retain these people too. And I, I cannot answer the second question. I think Francis Ball is, is the person who knows like how to get this number out. But, right. You know, yeah. All right, Ms. Yuna, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Bira Yoon. A I, just have, I, I actually did have one more question for Dr. Zaidi if we, uh, if we had time. Um, because you were talking about mindfulness um, as, a, as a way to increase productivity. And this is quite interesting. And I know a lot of companies have, have looked at that. Um, can you just tell us, are there any sort of scientific studies on that to, uh, to show you mindfulness and productivity? Mindfulness uh, trains how, how it is uh, important in productivity is that you can train and you can uh, you train your brain to stay focused on one task, one thing at a time, and that's your breath. So you're basically training, and there are many studies now available that show that your neural pathways uh, change and you are able to pay sustained attention. But some people it's very hard to do. I have to preface it with that. For people who are able to uh, use this uh, mindfulness um, as a tool to uh, train your mind to pay attention, it is very, very helpful. And there are many studies out there now to to show um, you know its relevance in being able to pay sustained attention and bring your attention and your mind back to the task. Yeah. Or, you know, it is a breath in the mindfulness actually that you're paying it. You bring your um, focus to your breath so it, that's how you train yourself with that yeah it, it was becoming quite mainstream with you know with the apps such as headspace and, and whatnot is it still mainstream in the, in the corporate world or is it is it a fad are you do you actually have corporate clients you're, you're working with on this yes um and they do as i said it, you know it does depend on uh, the person um and for majority of the people um, let's say seven out of ten people that I've introduced it to, it does work. They are able to sit still and they're able to pay attention to how it's introduced to them and how that is also very important. And for three, it, it's very, very hard. It's hard. And then you have to find other ways of reducing stress or uh, training your brain to be able to pay attention to one thing at a time. All right, okay. James, I hope you got all your answers just now. I will now. be breathing carefully from now on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all 
All right, uh, Dr. Saidi, thank you for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Dr. Kuratalin Saidi, a Hong Kong-based clinical psychologist from Mind and Life Psychology Practice. Also, many thanks to Vera Yoon, a lecturer at the University of Hong Kong's Faculty of Business and Economics. It's now 20 minutes past nine, and uh, it's time for us to uh, turn to our second topic. And uh, it's about a new clinical trial by Sinovac of a new vaccine specifically targeting Omicron. To tell us more, we're now joined by Government Vaccine Advisor Professor Ivan Hung from the University of Hong Kong, who is leading the clinical trial. Good morning, Professor Hung. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, can you first tell us a bit about the new Sinovac vaccine you're testing? Yes, uh, currently we're performing a phase two clinical trial for the Sinovac, uh, so-called like a second generation vaccine. Uh, the vaccine itself is a uh, so-called inactivated vaccine. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a second generation because the antigen that it's using is a Omicron BA.1 strain. So the trial itself, will uh, we hope to recruit uh, 300 subjects uh, and they will be randomized into two arms uh, they will both uh, both arm will receive uh, either a shot of the uh, second generation vaccine or a two shots of the second generation vaccine, and then uh, hopefully we will have the uh, all the vaccination done by the end of August, uh, and we'll have some preliminary result for analysis by the end of September, early October. What level of protection can it offer? Uh, that is what we're trying to find out. Uh, if you look at the Pfizer study, which is the mRNA vaccine second generation, which they released the interim results, uh, it showed that even though the antigen is of the Omicron BA.1, it's still able to offer a cross protection against the BA.2, BA.4, and BA.5, which are the current circulating strain. Uh, and of course, we will not only be looking at the immunogenicity data we will also be studying whether they are safe uh, and also the, uh, to a certain extent, some clinical efficacy. Because currently in Hong Kong, we have a uh, certain level of, uh, of circulation of the virus right now. So we will also be looking to see whether uh, the vaccine will be able to get, offer some clinical protection. All right. You, you just said that you're, you're going to, the trial will look at what level of protection this new vaccine can offer, but there must be some um, data that's already available. I mean, it, it, do you have an idea of how much protection it can offer? No, we have, we have yet to test it against the Omicron BA4, BA5, uh, because the, these subvariants emerge uh, after the vaccine was being made. Uh, and this the same thing happened to the Pfizer mRNA vaccine as well. Right. And you just said um, you just said you're hoping to uh, recruit uh, 300 subjects to participate in your trial. Um, has it been uh, um, smooth so far? Or are there many people interested? Yes, there are quite a number of people uh, interested, uh, and of course, these subjects have to already have received uh, either two doses or three doses of uh, of BioNTech or Sinovac vaccine. Uh, they could not have crossed over in between uh, before, so. They have to be purely uh, have two or three doses of the BioNTech or the Sinovac vaccine uh, before receiving these booster dose. Uh, so far, we have uh, already screened, uh, I think, uh, around 50 or 60 subjects, uh, and we have vaccinated around uh, 20 subjects. So uh, we, we are still looking for uh, you know, subjects who are interested to join the study. 
What about people who have already、uh, come down with COVID 19 before? Are they eligible?、Uh, unfortunately, not,、uh, because they will affect the antibody level, especially that if they have been infected on the fifth wave with the Omicron B2 strain. So、uh, we will be looking for subjects who have not been、uh, infected before. How, you've screened 50 to 60. How many have actually had applied? How many are, are getting lost in the screening process, so to speak?、Uh, only a few.、Hmm. So、uh, we are really hoping to, you know,、uh, be, you know, starting, you know, to, we have already started vaccinated people, but、uh, hopefully we will be able to recruit more subjects、uh, over the next few weeks. Is it normally easy to recruit people for these sorts of trials? I mean, what are, the, what are the benefits? They're not really paid, are they? Or maybe supermarket vouchers or something like that? <laughs> they, 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 will be,、uh, they will be so called、uh, given a, a transportation fee. Uh, you know,、uh, to, to cover the,、uh, the, the traveling and also the time they spend on the trial.、Uh, but I think the main benefit is really that the vaccine itself、uh, should be able to give protection、uh, against current strain,、uh, circulating strain of Omicron B2, B4, and B5. And so I think that is the, the, the real benefit behind it. And、uh, Professor Hong,、um, I know you have、uh, also been、uh, carrying out a clinical trial on another mainland vaccine, Sinopharm. How's, how's that been going?、Uh, the, the Sinopharm study was launched uh, uh, a few weeks earlier. So、uh, that, that study is actually a phase three trial. So、uh, we, were aiming, we were aiming to recruit 1,800 subjects.、Uh, and so far, around 1,400 subjects have been screened, and we have already vaccinated、uh, close to 800 subjects. So,、uh, again, we're still looking for more subjects to join.、Uh, but that trial is,、uh, is, is larger in size.、Uh, and it's aimed to, again, we hope to finish the,、uh, the vaccination by the end of August. And again,、uh, with the result towards the end of September. And then hopefully、uh, we will be able to publish the data soon、uh, and then get the vaccine reg- registered if, if everything goes、uh, smooth. Uh, by the end of、uh, hopefully November,、uh, so that it could be used uh, before uh, the winter season arrives. So it's、uh, expected to be made available here,、uh, I, I guess, maybe in December? Yes, that, that is the plan. All right. So, so, what advice do you have for people who have already had three COVID shots、uh, if they're not planning to travel anytime soon? Should they wait for these、uh, Omicron targeted vaccines as their fourth COVID jab?、Uh, Yes, if, if, if they, are, they are healthy individuals.、Uh, currently, the data showing that three、uh, doses of the vaccines are sufficient to give、uh, good enough antibody、uh, and, and some protection、uh, with the current strain.、Uh, although it's, it's not, very, not very high, but it's, it's adequate to protect against severe disease and, and mortality. Uh, so uh, we would advise、uh, subjects to wait if they have already received three doses、uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, to receive the fourth booster dose, which will hopefully be the second generation Omicron match vaccine. And,、uh, for those who are,、uh, you know, have received only two doses, however, we will recommend them to get a third dose、uh, sometime between before the fourth dose towards the end of the year. And、uh, just briefly, looking at the current COVID situation, is it possible for the border with the mainland to reopen、um, early next month, as suggested by the new health chief, Professor Lo Cheng Mao?、Um, It's, it's optimistic, but I, I think really we have to wait until、uh, the decision from the Shenzhen Health Authority because they, they will be the one who will 
decide whether this is feasible and what are the criteria uh, that they will be looking at. And uh, also, according to his blog, uh, Professor Lowe is also uh, considering expanding the COVID vaccination scheme to cover children aged under three. Um, in your view, um, how safe is that? I think it's very, very safe. Um, it, it's, uh, it's been shown by studies, uh, especially with the, the Pfizer study uh, on those uh, from six months to three years old. So uh, really, I think, is is uh, how to get the supply. Uh, from this, uh, from the, from this uh, pharmaceutical, because this is uh, uh, it's especially made formula is one tenth dose, uh, and um, so we, we, it's very difficult to to draw. Like the you know for the five eleven years old, which we've been we've been drawing that from the adult dose. So we we really need that special formula uh, from the from the pharmaceuticals, and uh, so it really depends whether we could get the supply. Uh, from this on pharmaceutical, uh, and also we will be exploring whether you know the Sinovac vaccine could also be be used uh, for those six months to three years old. All right, Professor Hung, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Professor Ivan Hung, a government vaccine advisor from the University of Hong Kong, who is leading a clinical trial on a new Omicron-targeted vaccine. Many thanks also to all of you who emailed and uh, sent us a comments on. The topics discussed today and also thanks to my co-host James Ockenden and my producer Yuki. Now, here's the weather before we go. It'll be mainly cloudy with showers and a few thunderstorms. Showers will be heavier over parts of the territory and the top temperature will be around 30 degrees. Winds moderate southwesterly is occasionally fresh and the outlook. Occasional showers and thunderstorms tomorrow and the weather will improve gradually in uh, later the later part of this week. And right now it's 29 degrees, relative humidity, 84%. Many friends ask me why I'm so determined to exercise for at least half an hour every day. Well, if you try it, you'll know why. It's all about sweating. Every time I exercise and sweat, I feel full of joy and strength. And I feel great for the rest of the day. August 7th is Sport for All Day. Come on, it's cool to sweat. For details, please visit lcsd.gov.hk. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. Thank you, Janice. Two senior British cabinet ministers have resigned over the controversies linked to the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. The resignations of the Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak and the Health Secretary Sajid Javid pile more pressure on the beleaguered